Welcome to another Love hour of Radio. Welcome to another hour of Cisco and Falzone Hour Broadcasting Politics. Tonight we have a special guest. Mark, go ahead. Yes, we have we have Shelley Kennedy, a uh, New Jersey Second Amendment advocate. Uh, I also wanted to say we are sponsored by Students for a Better Future. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doreen Finkel, you know, we always have to mention the group and her name. You know, yeah. she's been active. Uh, she's where the rubber meets the road for years. But now Shelly, introducing Shelly Kennedy. <laughs> Hello, good evening. Uh, Shelly, welcome. Uh, well, you know what? We'll bypass the, uh, the my model for, for tonight. I just want to uh, mention right away that um, welcome, Shelly, and, and we're really excited to have you on the show tonight. I appreciate that very much. We, uh, The Second Amendment Sanctuary Movement in New Jersey is fairly young. We're just over two months old, and we've already made a tremendous amount of progress in the state. And being able to participate in public uh, forums like this is is great. It's another way for us to get the news out so that people can hear about us and make even more progress in this blue state. Right. So we just had the, uh, the Senate, the Virginia Senate, uh, defeated the anti-gun legislation that was brought about by Governor Norton in, in Virginia and most of, of the Democrats in the House. And there were four moderate Democrats in the Senate that actually voted with the Republicans. What was your take on the results of the Virginia um, anti-gun legislation that was defeated? Well, there's one thing to remember about the gun legislation in Virginia is that that legislation had probably been in the mill for a long time and was just waiting for a supermajority in the state legislature with a governor that would sign it to start passing all that. And you can tell because the moment uh, these people were elected and uh, came into power, they started loading up their calendar with these gun bills. They do the same thing here in New Jersey. So it happens in Virginia, and this happens in other states too. But, for example, they'll pass six uh, gun bills, or they'll put six gun bills up for a vote. They voted five of them in, my understanding is they had several on the calendar that day, and the one, which was the uh, the gun ban, the semi-auto gun ban, um, what they call assault weapon ban that one was defeated they did have four people flip uh and decide not to vote in favor of it but other legislation that was anti-second amendment um did get passed so it was a win but it wasn't a a 100 percent win because of course there's a lot going on there and um as we were talking before the show there's a lot of money that goes into these gun bills there's um here in New Jersey, we have a group called Moms Demand Action. They're very active. And then you have Bloomberg and his Every Town for Gun Safety, uh, mm-hmm. who also has Gabby Giffords groups. And there are many, many others. And they're, they collect an incredible amount of money. They pour it into every state so that all – it's basically the same legislation. You can look at the, – there's, for example, on the legislative calendar here in New Jersey right now, there are 150 gun bills. Most of them are anti-Second Amendment. And those same gun bills, you could probably find them in every other state somewhere. If you just look in the committees and things like that, you'll find them. They just take this stuff and they photocopy it and they distribute it to all 50 states. So there's an old saying here that what happens in Jersey doesn't stay in Jersey. And we (laughs) and uh, California were test cases for this kind of restrictive gun legislation at the state level. And unfortunately, um, you know, that that gets exported and people don't realize this is happening. And all of a sudden, once you start voting in people who will, you know, who don't respect the Second Amendment, then this stuff gets passed. Well, well, Pennsylvania right now, Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania is proposing an anti-gun legislation. Uh, And I believe also in New Mexico, the current governor... She is pushing, and also, also, let's not forget that we have these red flag laws that have been pushed in, in practically a lot of the liberal blue states 
like the state of Maryland, we had an incident. And, and if anyone is not familiar with the, uh, the red flag laws, it's basically if someone really dislikes you and you have a gun, they can report you and say you're a mental case. And, the, and, and, and law enforcement will come and get Am I right? Or, um, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm very wary of these red flag laws. I look at them uh, as a potential inquisition against patriotic Americans. So the red flag laws concern me. Yes. And it's not just blue states. You may not know it, but right after the um, uh, Stoneman Douglas shooting in Florida, the legislature there passed a red flag law. Um, and th- the thing is, the reason for the Stoneman Douglas shooting wasn't wasn't because the gun jumped out of a uh, you know a, a, a gun shop somewhere and started uh, getting bullets, loading itself, and shooting itself. There was some very premeditated action that was taken by someone who was very mentally disturbed. Someone who had been reported as mentally disturbed had been undergoing treatment and then through, went through some very very bad. Uh, personal uh, problems. You know, his mother died. He lost his, uh, apparently, within, he aged out of a program he was in and uh, wasn't getting treatment anymore, medication, things like that. Um, I mean, the, the problem the problem with red flag laws is that, A, yes, it's an inquisition, but it also places the blame on people who simply have a weapon and someone suspects them of, of doing something wrong, There's these are highly unconstitutional. They uh, definitely, it's a, it's, um, a search and seizure. It's um, an infringement on your Fourth Amendment. It's an infringement, obviously, on your Second Amendment rights. It's an infringement on your First Amendment because now you're afraid to say anything because if you say something, you, somebody might take that wrong. It's an infringement on the Fourteenth Amendment. It's an infringement on the Fifth Amendment. It's against self-incrimination. It's unconstitutional at so many levels, but you don't hear people talking about this, and you don't see a lot of pushback against it either, which is scary. And yes, a lot of states have passed these red flag laws. The problem with the implementation of a red flag law is that people are instantly judged to be guilty of a pre-crime or thought crime, and then the police are able to use this red flag as some sort of cause to go in and seize property with no search warrant and no court order. And this is on the basis of someone who is, you know, perhaps has a grudge against this person. For Mm -hmm. example, in New Jersey, there's actually a a court case, which is, I believe, in the third district right now. This case uh, is from a gentleman in the state who said, uh, who gave a bad report to a doctor. Uh, online, you know, one of these online, you know, rate your doctor services and gave them a bad report, didn't like the service he got, the doctor red flagged him. And this gentleman has now sued. Um, There have been uh, reports of people being reported that, of course, you don't know you've been reported, right? And police come in, in, you know, six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock and they start pounding on your door. And there's a report where one fellow thought that people were invading his home and he comes down with his gun and he got shot by the police. So these are not, these do not uh, keep people safe. These are not taking criminals off the streets. These are penalties on law-abiding citizens. Um, I mean, there's nothing to stop your, your ex from flagging you. Uh, there's nothing to stop right. a doctor flagging you. If someone, you know, uh, thinks that you, you know, if they know you have a gun and they don't like you or they just think that there's a problem, you know, maybe you say, you say something and they take it the wrong way, they can flag you. This is highly unconstitutional. This challenge is, is going forward. And I, I fully expect that once it hits the Supreme Court, it's going to overthrow all of these red flag laws. But we have to wait a very long time for that to happen. It takes years and years for these things to percolate through the courts. Well, Shelley, uh, I know that you, you, you're trying to build this political movement, uh, political Second Amendment movement, but the reality now is that in Virginia, Bloomberg spent almost a half a million, uh, two and a half million dollars 
in Virginia, which was more eight more times than than the the NRA spent. So it's become yes, it's political, but also it's economical. It's there's an, a, a financial interest in getting from these individuals in getting these anti-gun legislation passed because Virginia was a state with pro-gun traditions and they were just on the brink of passing very, very strict gun restrictions. So one of the reasons, yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Ask your question. How how do you, how, how do you basically compete against individuals like the Bloomberg's and the Soros of the world who are pouring money and basically bribing a lot of these politicians, you know, in this type of environment, mm-hmm. how do you how do you, well, how do you compete with them? I mean, look at what them? Bloomberg's doing. Now, look at what Bloomberg is doing on the national level. He's buying off mm-hmm. whole media, you know, yes. groups so that they won't criticize him. Um, but then again, he flopped in the debate, so you know yeah. he comes out looking stupid. But what he's doing, what Soros is doing, they're being very smart. They're keeping it on the down low. They go and they, they donate large amounts of money to get DAs, uh, district attorneys, and attorneys general, and police chiefs, and other people in law enforcement and judiciary, um, either elected or appointed. Um, and then they control that person. I mean, we, we've seen that all over the place. We saw that the the DA in the Jesse Smollett case was a Soros-funded mm-hmm. yeah. person. Yeah. So the way to fight back is and, – and what else they do is gerrymandering. So you have the whole state of Virginia that's being controlled by a couple of small, relatively small mm-hmm. and acreage jurisdictions yeah. around Washington um, and Richmond. And those are controlling the entire state. So the, the thing to do is exactly what we're doing in the 2A sanctuary movement is to take the – you have constitutional sheriffs in Virginia who have said that they're not going to uphold unconstitutional laws. And you have uh, towns and counties who, have, who are standing behind the Constitution and saying we're, we do not believe that the laws that have been passed, you know, these are constitutional. And the, the beauty about this is it makes a politician – take a stand for the Constitution. These elected officials all take an oath to the Constitution, and most of them don't think twice about it after that. What's the Constitution? Many of them have never even read the Second Amendment, much less the entire (laughs) Bill of Rights. So they don't know what it says, and Uh and they don't have the education. They don't have the experience. You know, they're, they're politicians. They're not constitutional experts. What the, what we're doing in New Jersey is is going to turn this around. We've already had tremendous amount of success so far. We have five counties that have adopted our resolution, and 29. Actually, I think 30. We have today towns. Um, what the resolution does, it's not it's not legal. It's not like an ordinance. It's not law, but it's simply an or, a resolution that says that we recognize as a county or township that. These, the, the, there are gun laws, gun, laws that have been passed that infringe on the Second Amendment, and that we disagree with these laws being enacted, um, and that we w- want to put forth the Second Amendment as being clear and specific, um, and come out against further restrictions on on the citizens' right to legally own firearms. So, what this does is it helps educate people. Um, in our resolution, we go through many cases. Uh, we, for example, in New Jersey, it's almost impossible to get a concealed carry. Now, there are different kinds of states. There are states that have may issue, which is you apply for a concealed carry and the state may issue it on certain grounds. And then you have people who, in other states, where the law says you can apply for concealed carry and the state must issue or shall issue it. New Jersey is a May issue state, and one of the interesting things about New Jersey law is it's very arcane and convoluted. Um, it's basically a bunch of exceptions to this. To it basically says you have no right to keep or bear arms. We're just going to make a whole bunch of exceptions. One of the exceptions is oh, we may issue concealed carry permit, but the only way you can do it is if you were a um, uh, like a retired police officer or sheriff, or you have some sort of political pull. Outside of retired law enforcement, there are only 1,600, 1,600 concealed carry permits issued in the state. 
and the state has 9 million people. So it's almost impossible to get a concealed carry. We, um, our Second Amendment sanctuary movement here in New Jersey was founded by a group of people who think this is this and other infringements are wrong. One of the founders of this movement is a fellow by the name of Mark Cheeseman, who now has a concealed carry lawsuit against the state of New Jersey uh, pending before the Supreme Court should they decide to take it. There are actually several gun-related uh, cases before the Supreme Court right now, and they, there's sort of a backlog on that, so we don't know when they're going to pick it up. But there are a lot of lawsuits from New Jersey, New York, um, that are challenging the restrictive gun laws in these states because a lot of things like the New York Safe Act, a lot of these laws are very unconstitutional on their face, and people have, have challenged them. It just takes, like I said, many, many years for them to work their way through. Um, the only way to flip a state like Virginia is to make people aware, or New Jersey for that matter, is to make people aware that this is just not acceptable and that these gun laws don't make you any safer as an individual citizen. Um, in fact, all it does is it restricts your ability to defend yourself. And right. it doesn't get any criminal it, – it doesn't uh, get guns out of criminal hands. Exactly. All it does is make you a target. Um, so by sending these resolutions and getting towns and counties to sign on, we begin to educate our elected officials at the local level what's going on. Because eventually these people are probably going to run for higher elected office, right? So we want them to be well aware that there's a grassroots movement of people for whom this issue is extremely important and that they'll be educated on it if they do move up in politics. Well, that, that's uh, – I think you're, you're definitely heading in the right direction, um, and I, I'm impressed with the way uh, you're bringing these groups together. But I wanted to ask you in regards to if you've had any contact with the Virginia Citizens Defense League, which is an organization that has actually tripled their size of members after the whole Virginia – uh, anti-gun legislation. Yeah, our actually the big Virginia rally. Uh, several people, of course, our group back in January a month ago was was we had just gotten started, and um, a lot of people who were in the group, the, the founders of this group, went to Virginia and stood with the people there uh, of Virginia, as did other people from around the nation. Uh, people from all over the country went to Virginia to stand in solidarity with the people there. Um, so, yes, there's their effort there in their state is different than our effort in our state. There's there's no... it's They're separate organizations, but okay. do people talk? Of course. You know, everyone shares information. Everyone stays in touch. The the, the thing to remember is that every state's gun laws are very different, and the what you need to do at the local level is different even from county and township to county and township. So in terms of, you know, getting people from Virginia to come here and help us or getting, you know, more people over here to, to you know, help people in Virginia lobby, that kind of activity isn't going on right now. And, you know, I think that's that may be steps that are taken in the future when these organizations, um, you know, have a little bit more uh, maturity around them and, and things mm -hmm. like that. You, you mentioned the NRA, you know, in terms right. of political pull, the Se Second Amendment advocates don't right now have a lot of political pull because we're under attack everywhere. As you mm -hmm. brought up, there are, huge amounts of money being poured into this to disarm people. And you have to ask yourself, why is it so important to disarm Americans? You know, why is it so important to disarm people? Why is it so important to demonize lawful gun owners at the same time you're inviting criminals to come into the country and you let criminals go without bail, which is what they're doing with New York bail reform? Mm -hmm. You know, the answer is, of course, they, they don't, they want you defenseless because there are plans for people, and if you have guns, and you might resist. So it is our duty to resist. And as a political movement, I, I think the benefit of educating our politicians 
and and our fellow citizens is that even if you don't own a gun, and here's what's key, you can stand up for the Constitution. You can not even be a gun owner, but you can send in one of these resolutions, and that's all we ask people to do is mail a resolution to your town and your county. That's it. Print them out, sign them, put stamp on the envelopes, and mail them off. Anybody can do this of any political party. And you can have an influence at the very local level. And the more people do this, the more these politicians will see that this is important. And we will begin Shelley, to have Shelley, influence. Shelley, this is how is you, way, you grow it. Shelly, is there any way you want to publicize for people to get in touch with you mm-hmm. to assist? Yep. Is we have a website, website. We're on Facebook. We're on MeWe. Yep. The, it's nj2asanctuary.com. That's NJ for New Jersey, 2A Sanctuary.com. And if you want to, you can look at um, our resolutions, which are at the resolutions link on the menu. Uh, you'll see, if you go to that website, you'll see a beautiful picture of the um, counties and townships that have adopted our resolution. And again, this resolution doesn't change any laws, it doesn't make you exempt from any laws. All it does is say that we do not agree with the um, gun laws, the restrictive gun laws that are in place, many of which that are unconstitutional, and the Constitution should be upheld, including the Second Amendment. So by doing this, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about the Constitution um, because of all the stuff with the impeachment and stuff like that, and, and everybody's claiming to be to talk about the Constitution. You have Dershowitz and other people who are constitutional experts, and they're opining on things. There's never been so much focus on the Constitution in recent years as there is right now, and now is the time to tell people, oh, you know what? There's actually this amendment called the Second Amendment, when there's actual rights that are protected under that Second Amendment, just like speech, you know, free speech. Well, you also have a right protected by the Second Amendment and inalienable right to keep and bear arms. And anybody can defend that right. You don't have to be a gun owner. So the simple act of sending in a resolution to your local town or county tells them that's important to you. And, of course, not everyone is going to download and print things. And some people might you know, find that uh, a problem. Maybe they don't have a printer and so forth. Well, we have meetups. And if you look on Facebook – you'll see NJ2A Sanctuary pages for every county in New Jersey. Um, So if, for example, you're in um, Monmouth County, you can go to the Monmouth County page, and you can see what events are scheduled and then plan to attend. At those events, we will have information about the 2A Sanctuary movement. We'll have pre-printed resolutions that you can fill out, sign your name, and we'll even mail them if you want. But uh, many of our meetups are actually at public meetings. Right, We hold the meeting right before the town or county meets, and that way people can um, already be at the meeting where they can speak or if they don't want to speak, then hand their resolution in by hand to their re- elected representative. It makes a huge statement when people show up in person. So we always advocate for people to either – Send a hard copy, which makes a statement, even though you're not physically there, your paper, your copy is, or show up at a meeting. And then you can look at your electeds in the eye and tell them, this is important to me and I expect you to pass this. I expect you to stand up for the Constitution. So, yeah, you can find us also on MeWe. We just put up a MeWe page. It's New Jersey 2A Sanctuary. Um, So... Definitely, you can message us on, uh, we have chats on the uh, main uh, website, nj2asanctuary.com, and you can also message us on our Facebook page. Uh, We're happy to talk to people who want to get involved. So, um, Shelly, right now there's 17 states that basically have, in the District of Columbia, that have red flag laws. So, let me let me see if I'm if I get this. Uh, if, if it goes to the Supreme Court, these 17 states will probably have to give up the red flag laws if the Supreme mm-hmm. Court 
Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Agrees that it's unconstitutional to have the, these red flag laws in these 17 yes. states. Kind of depends on how the red flag laws are written, too. But what that will do is it will create a very difficult hurdle for these laws to pass if they're challenged. And it'll probably encourage people to challenge these laws in other states. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because if it's unconstitutional in one place, it's going to be unconstitutional someplace else, too. Uh, I'm course. not an expert on exactly how all these laws are written. And, and if they're written differently enough, you know, some parts of the law may may be unconstitutional and others may not, depending on how the Supreme Court, uh, you know, judges this case. But it would only be good news if if they even part of these red flag laws were overturned. And, of course, we want the whole thing to overturn. Of but course. it's at least a step in the right direction. Okay, so we ha- we have uh, I think the, the the most urgent situation in regards to really passing anti-gun legislation happens to be in New Mexico because they have the, the legislation that's called the SB five, which basically uh, is a bill that allows the courts to order temporary gun seizure for up to a year, but thirty out of the thirty three sheriffs in in New Mexico have vowed to not. Um, enforce the law. Are you familiar with what's going on in New Mexico? Actually, no, I I am not. So what I'm what I'm hearing though is something that isn't unusual for sheriffs, particularly in the West. I have seen constitutional sheriffs stand up against illegal state laws in Colorado, in Oregon, in California, and other places. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me to see that in New Mexico either, that they're standing up for the Constitution. But it's going to take more than the sheriffs. The people in New Mexico are going to need to to come out and tell their elected officials, this is not going, we do not want this. Now, you might say, well, these are the people they elected. But you have to understand these gun laws are being put in place by forces outside of these states. They get introduced and then they get run through the mill. So this wasn't part of what the people voted for. They didn't vote to have their their inalienable rights restricted, and they do need to come out and and support the sheriffs and, and say that this is not what we want. You know, we're going to vote you out. We're going to recall you. And show up in force, you know, like they did in Virginia, like we, you know, like people have always done. If you show up in person, in in mass, you will get attention. You will get their attention. They they right. will not ignore you. Got it. So we um we have a couple more minutes. Uh, can you stay a little, Mark? Sure. Uh, your your yeah. other guest said nine thirty or, or I mean nine thirty five. Yeah, I, I told them approximately nine thirty, nine thirty-five, okay. and um, so, go ahead. They'll have a six zero nine number, I believe. Okay, fantastic. I'll, I'll, so, Venezuela in twenty twelve gave uh, their citizens gave up their guns, and we know what's happening in Venezuela, the dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Australia confiscated six hundred fifty thousand guns in nineteen ninety six. And basically, the criminals still have the guns. So it yes. just shows that these anti-gun legislations don't really resolve what they're, they're portraying that it should be resolving. Because That's we, right. have two, we have two cases here of two countries that have passed confiscation, and they're still crime. <laughs> so guns were not... It's the, the red the, flag laws. Yeah, if these restrictive mm-hmm. gun laws worked, these the then why is there still crime? You know, if you look if you look at the crime statistics, there are five cities in the United States that if you um, took them out of the the statistics, we would have one of the lowest violent crime, you know, um, occurrences in the world. It's it's because the and they're all gun free. They're all highly regulated, controlled, that sort of thing, you know, Illinois, Baltimore, and so mm-hmm. forth. They are the ones that skewer statistics, and you look at all of them, and they all have extremely restrictive gun laws. Gun laws like this do not work. They simply don't make people safer, and they, they simply encourage crime. They penalize law-abiding owners, and they allow criminals 
to get to get off scot free because you know it'll happen if you have a criminal let's say a criminal gets caught doing a crime and they go to a judge and then the judge finds out that he committed or she committed five other crimes and they have warrants and i say well okay so if you'll plead guilty we'll we'll plead you down on these others they end up not getting much much of a, a jail time because they get pleaded down on these other offenses. That's how it works. But you find a law-abiding citizen who happens to in New Jersey, let's say you, you well, we have a law about going to the gun range. You cannot take any unnecessary deviations. And what that means is you can't stop anywhere from your house to the gun range. You go from home to the gun range, gun range to house. You can't stop for gas. You can't stop to go to the bathroom. You can't stop to get a cup of coffee. You can't stop to pick up a friend. If you do and you get caught with the gun in your car and you do that, you're an instant felon. I believe it's – I'm not sure what the minimum mandatory is. It could be three years. I'm not sure. But there's a minimum mm. mandatory of about three years. Um, and there's, there is no leeway. You are in for three years, period. And there are people who have committed violent crimes that get less than that after they plead, plead down. It's, it's wrong, and it doesn't make anybody safer. <laughs> These are supposed to be – gun safety, you know, common sense gun safety, they're not. It's simply a way to try to get firearms out of private hands so that, yes, exactly, criminals will have the guns and the government. And we see how that, how well that went in Venezuela. It doesn't, it doesn't bode well for the average citizen if they become disarmed. History proves that correct. And you, you brought up, you brought up a, uh, an interesting point earlier, the redistricting, the gerrymander. Uh, that has allowed more of the liberal progressive to basically take over a lot of the areas that happened in Virginia, you know, Richmond, uh, 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 Fairfax, Virginia, all the the cities, uh, towns close to D.C. that that lean more to the left. They basically came out and and voted in Virginia. So I think that 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 was that was a, one of the reasons why the House and the Senate became controlled by the Democrats. So I think that that's another important point that you brought up. That whole uh-huh. gerrymandering situation has turned around the, uh-huh. this whole Second Amendment anti-gun push push by the uh, by the left. Right. They they did it in New Jersey. They've done it in um, Pennsylvania. They've done it, uh, you know, you, you talked about Virginia. This is how they gain, you know, the gun grabbers gain power, gerrymandering districts so that they can get their people elected who are then going to go in and implement these restrictive gun laws. What happens? You know, average citizens are, are really not even aware that redistricting happens, you know. So um, it, it's Again, it's a matter of educating people uh, on Mm -hmm. the Constitution, definitely, but also the the electoral process. I mean, there's a lot to it, and it is complicated. And, you know, you can can bore people to death talking about this stuff over dinner, right? Very (laughs) few people are interested in it. But it has real-life implications on your everyday life if you ignore it. You do so at your own peril. So it's, it's very uh, important for people to take these kinds of things seriously. And not, not just yourself, but teach your kids about it, too, because I guarantee you no, no kids are learning about this stuff in school anymore. And certainly what they're learning is probably skewed in one direction. So um, there's a huge amount of education they just have. And one of the good things I have found lately, other than the fact that, you know, we, we have a lot of interest in the constitution itself you know for whatever reason um, at least getting it being talked about is a good thing uh, for example in florida i was speaking to a friend in florida today the they are putting civics back in the education curriculum in that state they they, they tore common core out they tore mm-hmm. out park testing and they put in they're putting in civics and i was speaking to someone who is part of that effort to change the curriculum and I was very, um, very encouraged. And what they did is at a grassroots level, begin rewriting textbooks, and they began raising money and then lobbying the state government to adopt these books. And it worked. Um, now it worked because they have 
you know, a, a sympathetic um, legislature and governor, and they had developed, spent years developing relationships with the people, and then when they get in, into state office, they already know them, right, and they, they have influence. So it, it, it's important to do that, but at least we see that's a model how, how to get these things done to try to roll back some of this damage the education system has caused. Excellent point. Thank you. Um, Shelly, I'd like to basically, uh, we have our next guest coming in, and, and if you want okay. to stay around, that would be great if you want to. All right. Well, let me and, just give the website one more time. Yeah, it's uh, nj2asanctuary.com, and you can find us on Facebook at nj2asanctuary. And we'd love to hear from anybody. Uh, if, you ha- if you're not in New Jersey, then we're happy to hear from you, too, and we can help you find people in your area who are doing these kinds of things, too. So thank you again. Thank you again for asking me on the show tonight and talking about this. Shelly, it's been a pleasure. And thank you, Mark, for inviting. And, 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 and Mark, you, have your, uh, you want to introduce your, your next guest? Yes, the next guest is Hirsch Singh. Uh, he's a New, uh, New Jersey GOP Senate candidate. Uh, he's hoping to run against Spartacus. Uh, that's that empty suit, also known as Cory Booker. <laughs> Mr. Singh, oh. welcome aboard. How's it going, Mark? I uh, hope you're having a great evening so far. How's it going? Talk to me. Yeah, it's going okay. good. Going good. How about you, sir? How How's the campaign trail? Uh, it's going great. I uh, just got out of an event over in uh, Tom's River, uh, right by uh, Ocean County. And, uh, you know, just been running around uh, almost every evening and during the day making phone calls. I think that there is a strong excitement in this state uh, for the Republican resurgence, which, uh, you know, started in 2019 when uh, New Jersey broke the national narrative and uh, Republicans pushed back Democrats, gained seats in the state assembly and the state Senate for the first time since 1993. Um, if you looked at the national narrative uh, and all the press uh, before Election Day, uh, they were expecting Democrats to take the Kentucky governor's race. They were expecting Democrats to, to sweep Virginia, and they were also thinking that they were going to win eight different battleground seats in, in you know, New Jersey, and we pushed back and won all eight. And, uh, you know, my campaign was a, an integral role in making that happen. We did a the statewide digital um, meaning that we hit 315,000 people in the last 48 hours, people that don't traditionally vote in uh, off-year elections. And uh, we had a resounding victory, which uh, broke their uh, vote-by-mail scheme, which helped them really uh, take all but one of our congressional seats in 2018. And uh, I think we have set the stage uh, with, you know, Van Drew flipping from Democrat to Republican in uh, the 2nd Congressional District bringing President Trump to South Jersey, uh, completing kind of the, the M.O. since uh, Ronald Reagan, where if a president comes to New Jersey, he'll win his re-election, and he'll also win New Jersey. And, uh, yeah, nobody likes Cory Booker. <laughs> so uh, with him uh, burning through all his money, running for president, and coming back uh, to New Jersey with less than $53,000 in his bank account, uh, it's looking very, very optimistic, and uh, I think we're going to have a Republican resurgence in 2020 in New Jersey. Well, Hirsch, um, it's a pleasure. This is Cisco Casa, your other host here, um, and I have I have How's some going, questions for you. All right. So this is basically uh, you're, you're you're running for for the Senate uh, against Mr. Booker and. Um, this is your actual. This is your third try running. You ran for Congress previously. I ran for governor in 2017. Okay. Um, that was my first time running when Chris Christie was term limited out. Uh, Phil right. Murphy uh, uh, was, you know, a straight up communist back then. We were totally concerned about him uh, uh, ruining our state, and so I didn't really know too much. But after President Trump won in 16. I uh, felt that not only did President need allies, but we needed to stop New Jersey because President Trump inspired me that the corruption that had taken hold in this country could be beaten. And so I didn't really know the the, the method, but I got into that race. I came in third, got 10% of the vote the first time I ran. 
uh, in a very competitive primary. And uh, the real thing was I got to meet really the the leadership in the Republican Party uh, across the entire state, which uh, usually uh, takes people many, many decades to to get to know. And uh, they asked me to run for Congress in uh, 2018. I came in second out of eight people that had run, uh, getting 31% of the vote. Uh, We were told to secure 6,000 votes to win. Uh, We aimed for 7,000, and we got 7,800, and it was a little bit short. But, uh, you know, that's fine. Um, When I first got involved, I was 32 years old. Now I'm 34. And uh, we have uh, the most name ID in the state. So I think, you know, things are promising. And the only way you learn New Jersey politics is by playing. So I think Christie ran four times before he became governor, and we're, we're right on track. No, I, I like your platform. I, I, I'm, I'm very impressed. So I, I used to live in New Jersey, so and I, and I, I and I did run for for the for Congress in New Jersey, and I did work with uh, Governor Christie. I was one of the county ch- chairmen when I lived in New Jersey. Uh, so yes, New Jersey oh, politics can get can get really dirty. Uh, I liked your 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 Second Amendment and and, and the tax policies. Um, where do you see? Uh, Cory Booker, I mean, I, I believe he has a lot of weaknesses, but where do you see where you can really, really go at him uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a debate? Uh, where do you see things that, that most people actually are looking at Cory Booker and they're saying, how could this individual be a state senator? I mean, a, a U.S. Senate I mean, senator. Cory, Cory Booker is uniquely, uniquely responsible for the water-led crisis in Newark, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. He was mayor. The watershed, uh, I would say, debacle sent the people he appointed to run the water when it was his responsibility as chairman of the Water Commission. They were sent to jail for improper use of funds, for pocketing money, and his, his very appointed individuals that were sent to jail point the finger at him and blame him and say he is responsible for the corruption that occurred with the Newark watershed. And, you know, it might have been back then when all that uh, nonsense was going on, but the, the fallout of the ineffective replacement of the water infrastructure of Newark led to a lead water crisis this year where the president himself, President Trump, had to step in and sign a bill to send another $100 million dollars in Newark, New Jersey, the, the current largest municipality and city in New Jersey, and, and help them out because people couldn't drink their own tap water without poisoning the children and their families, and that is just completely unacceptable. You know, we had a cleanup effort after that whole uh, Scott Pressler uh, Baltimore cleanup that occurred when they were calling right. it a, a, a shithole uh, a city. Um, we had a cleanup effort. We had close to 50 people over in Newark, New Jersey. And when they cleaned up, you know, that city, we actually went door to door and asked the citizens on camera what they thought about, you know, Cory Booker and what he had done. And it was amazing. Nobody likes him. He couldn't win re-election as mayor. They're upset about the water. They're upset about how he has done nothing for the people. And uh, on that alone, nobody likes him and he has done nothing for the state. If we bring up the truth, and the, the real the corruption, the way they, you know, put pressure on different businesses that we're going to expose uh, to, to basically fund their campaign, saying that they were going to withhold approvals, certifications. I mean, this is classic corruption, which has been happening over in Newark, New Jersey, under his watch to fund his own senatorial campaign before and his presidential, you know, campaign now. I think that if the people learn what has been going on behind the scenes and we destroy this fake, you know, a positive image of, of right. him that they will never reelect him to the U.S. Senate in this state. Yeah, it's it's basically a, a, a recreation of what happened in Flint, Michigan, with the water system. Yeah, it's actually worse. It's actually worse. Uh, the difference is, the media has been complicit to really not fully slam. You know, Cory Booker, and we're not going to do that. We're going to make sure the truth comes to light, that everyone is aware. You know, the only people that can say anything positive about Booker are people that are so busy they're not reading the news. But if you actually 
get in front of them, which we're going to do with our media and our outreach and our text messaging, and let people know the truth, there's no way anyone can vote for that guy. New Jersey has one of the smartest populations in the country. Definitely, definitely. I, and, and I still have a lot of friends in, in New Jersey, and I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to let them know about you in different parts, from Hudson County to, to Essex County. Definitely. Now, now this whole situation with um, the pharmaceutical companies, and this has been proven, this is not a conspiracy or anything, that pharmaceutical companies, in regards to the prices of drugs going up, Mr. Booker has been instrumental in basically um, not going along with reducing prices because he is basically beholden to, to, to the pharmaceutical companies, especially in New Jersey. He, yes, he received more money from the pharmaceutical industry than any other. Now, mm-hmm. you have to understand, we don't hate the pharmaceutical industry because they employ a lot of people. They're an oh, yeah. important business, and they help save the lives of countless people across this world and this country. And, you know, New Jersey is their headquarters for the most part. But the problem is that there are many ways where the the pharmaceutical companies can make even more money by allowing for generic, uh, uh, you know, drugs to be produced and created, and then also with them making more profits, they can charge less to consumers. It's a win-win. You know, there's a lot of solutions that can be brought to the table, but instead, Cory Booker has protected them and allowed for a a almost monopolistic environment where they're not even allowing their competitors to, to reduce those prices, which will benefit everyone. And the president has made it a part of his agenda to make the drugs that Americans need mm-hmm. for, for their health care become more affordable. I'm supportive of this. And there's a lot that can be done to drive down the cost of these productions of these drugs so that people can get what they need while at the same time they're not price gouging, you know, everyone. And uh, it's kind of abysmal that we are the most advanced nation in the world, yet we're taking advantage of those that need the life-giving, you know, treatment which is available. And it's more, I think, out of greed than out of business sense. That's that's so true. Very, 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 very well said. Now, uh, New Jersey has the t- distinction, again, like many blue states, of being a sanctuary uh, uh, state. What, as U.S. Senator, what would you propose, what legislation would you propose to get rid of that stigma that, that New Jersey has right now, just like New York, sanctuary cities? Because that's basically the bottom line is that all these states are getting funded. They're getting federal funding to basically have these sanctuary states. You know, the, the amazing hypocrisy of these sanctuary states allowing for people that are not legal citizens that should not mm-hmm. be in this country to reside here is phenomenal. Right. Because when the president made a joke to say that we're going to take everyone who's crossing the border illegally and we're going to put them in all these sanctuary cities and states, and if you want to deal with them, (laughs) you deal with them. There was an uproar by the Democrats trying to say that's not right, not fair, we don't want that. But then at the same time, hypocritically, they're going to not take care of their citizens, and they're going to spend the taxpayer dollars of hardworking Americans working two and three jobs on people that shouldn't be here legally, and, and right. it's just it's anathema to everything that is America. I mean, we're all about legal immigration. We love legal immigration. Most right. of the people in this country came here legally. And, the, and you know what? It's really a, it's a, it's a poke in the eye. It's, it's, it's spitting in the face of every person who has come here the right way, followed through the paperwork, and actually, even though the system is abysmal, you know, how can you try and blanket like the Democrats do illegal immigration and illegal immigrants with legal immigrants. If you come here legally and you're an American citizen, it doesn't matter if you have an accent, it doesn't matter if you don't know mm-hmm. the ways and the customs yet. If you want right. to be an American, this is the land where you can be an American. But by allowing people to be here illegally, these individuals are in a bubble where they can't even you know, easily walk out of their sanctuary areas and, and, and then you have 
other people that are here illegally preying on other illegal citizens because they can't go to the cops. The whole thing is it's inhumane to allow for illegal immigration and illegal immigrants to reside here. And what I would do in the U.S. Senate is make it very clear that municipalities that want to harbor, you know, illegal immigrants should not receive federal funds, federal taxpayer dollars, and, and get their services because that is the reason why they're being protected. Now, here's the thing. If someone wants to be here legally, we need to figure out a mechanism where they leave the country and we have to have a process for them to be able to be here. But I support merit-based immigration, legal immigration, you know, where the brain trust of, of the world comes to us. They shouldn't be getting educated here and going back to other countries and helping them out. We need them here to become a part of America, to become part of the American fabric and dream. But, you know, not only do we need to really kill, you know, illegal immigration altogether, but we really got to stop in the indoctrination which is happening in our public schools. You know, we need to allow uh, school choice because it's really not fair that people that come here and if they have, like, I think they say three generations in this country, they lose a lot of their, you know, entrepreneurial drive. And I think that's because of the design of the public school system, which does not reward people that are, 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 you know, merit-based, hardworking. It's actually, I think, dumbing down our population as opposed Mm. to really educating them. And uh, we spend so much more money here than any other nation. We should have the best education, which gives kids and, and, and the youth unlimited opportunities. But instead, we, we spend the most money in, in, the, in the failing school districts, and we allow it to persist. You know, it's just it's so backwards what the Democrats have done to this state and to this nation. It's, it's right. really abusive to the minority communities that they, they want to keep them in failing schools. And, and, you know, it's all done by design so they can keep people in their inner cities, in their projects, that they have their voting base, you know, just, just living off of their system. And we need to undo it because it's amazing what happens in these inner city communities when you say we can give your, your, your kid a, a, a choice to go to a school where they can have an opportunity to leave. You know, you can see the true human passion and the real conservative values where – these mothers will do anything to make sure their kids have an opportunity to succeed. You know, that's the mm. human essence and the human spirit. We need to be encouraging that, promoting that, not forcing people that are in low-income areas to go to failing education systems. Fantastic. Well said. Mark, have a question for first. Yes, uh, I, I, I wish I shared his confidence in the electorate of New Jersey because just recently we reelected Senator Menendez, and you know, uh, we, with can, all his with all his baggage, you know. But, you have but to however, I am optimistic in that uh, when Mr. President Trump came to Jersey, uh, he seemed to energize uh, the GOP base, and that seems to be the case wherever he goes. Uh, we, we are truly living in splendid times having this gentleman as our president. Uh, and I just wanted yes. to say that I was, a, I was rooting for him the moment he was atop the escalator. And my logic being no politician, whether GOP or Democrat, is going to even dent or, or resolve the issues we have in D.C., this I'm so hoping for a GOP House and Senate so that we can really uh, set things straight here um, for decades to come. But, uh, yeah, Mr. Hirsch, is there a you have a website that people can reach out to you and or donate or give time? Yeah, uh, anything yes. like that you want to get on out? Yes, and so uh, let me just quick respond to what you had just said. The reason why the 2018 election cycle did not go towards Republicans was because that Russia gate nonsense was on full display on CNN 24-7. And at that time, their credibility was just a little bit better than what it is today. And you know what? After that whole thing fell apart, when the Mueller report came out, since impeachment, Kavanaugh, and all that other nonsense occurred, their credibility has fallen and their 
like uh, uh, viewership has fallen massively. So the reason why Menendez was reelected was because that fake narrative was on full display and all of that is gone. And so we should be encouraged and excited and getting ready to really have a Republican resurgence because when President Trump came to New Jersey, he got the highest number of registered individuals to actually come to his, you know, his rally out of mm-hmm. any rally he's had in the country. 175,000 people registered for that rally. It just blew out all the records that have been set across this entire country. New Jersey is hungry for a Republican victory. We just need the right candidates at the, on the ticket, and they're going to come out in droves. And you know what? Ronald Reagan won New Jersey in 1984, and George uh, Bush Sr. won uh, New Jersey when, when he was running for election. And both of them came and visited New Jersey. President Trump has visited. He's held a rally. He's going to win New Jersey. We're going to throw out Cory Booker. And my website, just for, if anyone wants to see you know, what I stand for and understand that I have the right conservative values, it's hirschsing.com, H-I-R-S-H-S-I-N-G-H.com. You, if you go on Facebook, you'll notice that I have uh, probably the loudest loudspeaker uh, on Facebook uh, out of almost any politician in the state. Uh, we've reached about a half a million people in the last 30 days. Uh, it's just look for Hirsch Singh. And uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. We're the most technically advanced campaign the state has ever seen. And we are going to make sure that we bring out the youth. We bring out the minority communities, and we bring out the conservatives. And with that combination, Democrats cannot win. Well, I I do have a question. You just brought up the the situation with minorities. What what is the current situation in regards to Indian Americans? Uh, We we know that traditionally uh, uh, African Americans tend to vote majority Democrats. Uh, uh, Majority Hispanics tend to vote Democrats. uh, Democrat. In regards to Indian America, I'm curious because I, I where, 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 where do they stand in regards, especially with, with a fellow Indian American? I mean, you're American, but I'm saying your ancestry is running. Uh, are they getting excited, or they or they saying no because he's he's for Trump? We don't like him. Well, you know, it's a very interesting question because uh, two things. One, President Trump had a rally in Texas with the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, and he mm-hmm. had 50,000 Indian Americans from across the entire country. I was there as a VIP in the front, a couple of rows, and, right. you know, and he had 50,000 Indian Americans cheering at the top of their lungs. And the two things the president said that got the loudest cheer was to protect the border and to stop illegal immigration. And that was a shock because it destroys the Democrat narrative that they push on the TV 24-7, okay? So, but if you look at the Indian American community as a whole, in Texas, they're predominantly Republican. But in New Jersey and in, in, uh, in California, they have been predominantly Democrat. And the oh, reason okay. for that is that they have been kind of a very strong assimilating community. They're, they're all about, you know, becoming American and joining yeah. in, you know, with the American dream. And so if they, you yeah. know, only came into this country about 40 years ago, the parties yeah. that have been in power kind of influenced them. But what we're right. having today is a total re-education because the Internet is showing that, like, the high taxes, you know, are very anathema to, to what the conservative values that the Indian community really has, their strong family values community. And so Definitely. with, uh, you know, people like Bobby Jindal, uh, with yes, Nikki yes. Haley being strong yes, yes. Republicans, yes. it's really yes. starting to make the case that Indian Americans, if they care about the fact that they own 50% of all the hotels in this country, they're yeah. doctors, they're lawyers, they're, they're in Very almost every industry, they own the Dunkin' you know, I, with the Dunkin' Donuts, we, we, only, we, we, only have, we only have 30 seconds to go. Oh, okay. But I, I, I well, appreciate uh, that. But we're definitely, uh, we want you back because there's a lot more we can cover. And, Mark, you can be the lead on that. Okay. Thank you very much, Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Have right. a great evening. God bless America. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you, Tony. You too. All right. Wow. Mark, very impressed. Very impressed. 
Great guest. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. next next week I have another one lined up. Uh, I'll start advertising it. We'll, we'll have to talk tomorrow. Yeah, just basically send it so I can I can uh, I can set it up. Okay, thank you and good night. All right, a good night. Have a good one. Have a good night. All right, we'll bye bye. Good night.